Hey, it's a different jingle. Uh, that's the way it works today. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the March 8, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. On this day, March 8th, International Women's Day is celebrated in profound ways around the world, even if it is only a day commemorating women in all our totality. Hashtag pledge for parity and why not? Parity begins in our house, University of California. A different kind of power couple are, are going to be our guest today, Bill and Ann Allenbach, two veteran inmate literacy tutors in the Read OC program. They'll talk about opening their hearts and minds toward training inmates to read, write, and think critically. But first, we'll have on with us, it's our my distinct pleasure to take up and dispense with the myths that keep popping up about breastfeeding, pediatric nurse, and in private practice certified lactation consultant Vivian Earthman will amaze you with what we've stopped knowing generations ago about mother's milk. We'll start with her first. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Vivian Earthman, pediatric nurse and lactation consultant. We've developed this part of the program together since every time we discuss the latest coverage about breastfeeding, Vivian is seized with the need to respond with the correction to you name your media outlet. Even the New York Times, we can beat them up as well. Her training includes the Royal Halifax Infirmary in Yorkshire County in the United Kingdom and the Hospitalière Universitaire in Lausanne, Switzerland. Her nursing experience stateside, where she relocated to, to Orange County, includes Western Medical Center, Chalk at Mission Hospital, that's a Mission Viejo, Saddleback Memorial Hospital, and now her current affiliation with Orange County Breastfeeding Consultants, where she's in private practice. She previously appeared on my show on an election day as I was polling a handful of voters on their way to the booth. Welcome back to the show, Vivian Earthman. Thank you. Good morning. Oh, well... Good morning to you. Let's start with how did we get to where we are so clueless about the benefits, so willing to leave all this money on the table, so to speak, the benefits that is of breastfeeding? Good question. I'm not really sure how we, how we ended up here, um, but uh, it seems to be, seems like we're moving in a positive direction now with uh, the Baby Friendly Initiative. Um, put together by the World Health Organization and UNICEF um, back in 1991. So that education from that from that organization um, is ho is spreading around the world. One thing I when I, mean, I was doing a little checking in here, I noticed I, mean, I I used to hear about Queen Victoria have having had a huge impact on the sort of the, this, what styling is like, that, that breastfeeding was not considered a very royal kind of activity. And I've, I've got some quotes from what was said um, in some, in Paul, uh, Hannah Pakula's uh, research, where um, 
that uh, Victoria was disapproving of it, and she disapproved of it of uh, her her daughters, although they defy that, interestingly. But she said that she thought that nursing was, let's see, that women in this position were stressful and that wet nursing was a more a more beneficial, as a more animalistic kind of a way of providing for them. And so that her daughters defied her, and she was very disappointed in that. But So there's the style points. And then we talked a little bit in preparation for the show that in some countries and some cultures that there's a belief that once you breastfeed, you've lost the kind of tone of your, your breast tissue. So do you want to talk a little bit about where status and style can... Um, and sort of roll back what benefits uh, much older generations knew about breastfeeding. Yeah, I think some cultures are more accepting, you know, of body changes and 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 some areas, you know, c- countries it might be frowned on that, you know, the change of your body shape it may may you know the breastfeeding may change the you know shape of your breasts, which probably does but um isn't that what they're for um <laughs> and and other cultures are much more um accepting and and you know realize that this is such a positive thing for mom and infant um okay well let's now what you were talking about we're making progress uh one one indication and you've taught me this you've taught me many things about this that fewer hospitals are now letting formula get into the labor delivery recovery ward right that's part of the breast uh, baby friendly initiative um, there are there are quite a few steps that h- hospitals are um, encouraged to well they they have to follow if they want to be part of that initiative and one thing is that formula has to be purchased from uh, manufacturers not donated as in many as in many um, cases as in many cases it has been given freely to hospitals before but now it's being treated more as a as a medication um, instead of a necessity. It's you know doctors will order if it's needed, um, like Tylenol or other medications. Um, but breast breastfeeding and breastfeeding promotion and breast milk is considered the the primary first source. The well, let, let's talk more about the the baby friendly uh, in, in initiative. initiative. Okay. From the World Health Organization, UNICEF. Right. And they have, um, like I said, many points um, that need to be followed (coughs) to encourage and promote uh, breastfeeding. One uh, really important thing after delivery is um, skin-to-skin contact for baby and mom, or kangaroo care it's called in some places. Um, This is very significant because this allows mom and baby to breastfeed within the first couple of hours. And that basically um, sets up breastfeeding. Um, you know, if this doesn't occur, there are other opportunities for this to happen, but it's such a good um, experience for mom and baby when the infant breastfeeds right away. Um, oxido- oxytocin. Well, before you go into that, there was an incredibly interesting evolutionary mechanism or several mechanisms <clears throat> That with that skin-to-skin initial contact, can you tell us all about the uh, what the baby's the the newborn's capacity is and what how what the the physical 
attributes that the newborn mother has that work uh, with this um, evolutionary kind of advantage. Right. Um, it's fascinating. I've learned through through my training, which I'm not sure why. You know, it's not taught in high school biology classes. Right. But um, after babies are born and placed on mom's abdomen, the baby has certain reflexes that will allow the baby to approach the, the, the nipple, the breast. And there's, a, you know, we all, all women have this uh, linea negra that goes from the pubic bone to the umbilicus. It's that and dark line that we yeah. see on ourselves. And this becomes much darker in pregnancy. So it's basically a, a little you know, a little arrow to the breast, and um, the nipples, of, co- of course, become much darker and larger. So it's basically a target for the baby to, you know, v- baby vision is uh, is working, and so the baby can crawl to the breast. And this stepping um, is one of the reflexes that the baby has for the, for a few, uh, for the first few days and allows the baby to crawl up to the breast and actually helps... Um, Helps the placenta uh, be expelled um, from the the pressure of the, right. the body crawling, the baby, baby crawling baby's up feet. Yeah, kind of digging into the the that area, the abdo- abdominal wall there. Right, right. Um, so that so then then the response then back to you were going to say about latching on. Right. So when baby latches on, um, the oxytocin. Um, is a, a lot of lo- oxytocin is released in the mom, and it really peaks, and then drops down within a couple of hours to um, pre-pregnancy states. And this oxytocin is really um, significant because it allows mom and, and infant to bond, and we we know that when this happens, there's much less um, child abuse, child neglect, that kind of thing. Um, be- later on the mother is more protective of the infant and uh, there there's uh, that because of that significant bonding happening early on so um, oxytocin is a hormone right and um, are there other hormones i mean it's, does in, it, it's sort of a it's a pleasure it's a pleasure load in the synapses but is there are it's it, oxytocin alone are there other hormones like endorphin that are released or i think that there can are contribute to this I think there are. Um, we just haven't mapped them all y- yet because it's, yeah. it's not commercially viable to right. spend all that time on something you have to pay for. Right, right. But we'll get to that too. Um, other things that other the other huge benefits of uh, skin to skin are it's been shown that the mom's breasts will change temperature to maintain the baby's te- correct temperature. Wow, which is very interesting. We've uh, and very you know helpful in the NICU when moms are doing skin to skin in the in the uh, neonatal intensive care unit neonatal, neonatal intensive care correct um, it helps stabilizes blood sugar uh, which can be a, a problem sometimes in in newborn babies oh really yes <clears throat> because of their underdeveloped uh, gastrointestinal tract no I think it's sometimes well it depends some of the bigger babies uh, in my experience have had issues with this um, are they bigger because of the Gestational diabetes, right, and right. So they're already set up. Oh, that's interesting. Right. And of course, there's less crying. Baby's right where it wants to be. Um, obviously, the bonding <clears throat> and and the oxytocin release, which I mentioned, there um, is huge in- immediate and long-term breastfeeding success. So we know that, and I'm not sure if it's related to the oxytocin, but when 
that skin-to-skin time occurs initially, <clears throat> that actually lengthens the time that a mom will breastfeed. And uh-huh. we don't know all the facts about that, that but um, I make sure that I tell my, my mom's clients that, um, you know, the more breastfeeding you do now uh, and skin-to-skin, it will uh, determine the length of your breastfeeding um, relationship. Well, Vivian, I wanted to know if there is some kind of a, an emergency that takes place and it defers, it delays the time that that skin-to-skin can happen. Is that, does the oxytocin spike without, um, and does it come and go uh, if she she's has to get some kind of emergency health care before they're together or there's a, a complication with the infant, with the newborn? Well, now, um, now the hospital, because of the baby-friendly initiative, when a mom... Um, actually has a c-section the it's the typically what will they will do will they'll put the baby on the mom's chest so they can still have that skin to skin so they're really trying to they want to maximize that exactly they're trying to mitigate the the surgery that's that's needs to happen sometimes so they're trying to you know make sure that happens because that's that that boost of the oxytocin that happens at that time right then it goes away right and does the the skin to skin later on can it sort of raise the oxytocin right. level but yes. not maybe I quite th- in the same way yes i think so and dads are also encouraged to do skin to skin um you know babies love that you know the, the the reasons that i mentioned earlier and then also you know babies you know being um in mommy's um mom's body for 9 months so they just love that skin to skin later to be close to mom or dad and hear the heartbeat. It's yes. very calming and soothing. Okay. For those of you who've joined us, we have the pleasure of speaking with <clears throat> Vivian Earthman. She's a pediatric nurse and a lactation consultant conveying uncommonly elegant facts about breastfeeding here on Ask a Leader, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. Well, we're, we're talking about benefits, so let's open it all the way up about benefits to the baby, about uh, fewer diseases. You can enumerate those. Right. Um, and some diseases are much more, you know, prevalent in, in other parts of the, the world. Um, like, you know, country, countries that they don't have clean water. The main, one of the main problems is um, diarrhea and um, pneumonia. Dysentery. So, right. So, so that's a, basically a life-saving um, you know, tr- treatment. Because if there's not clean water, how would you, um, you know, how would you make formula or, you know? And they're not getting the cans, folks. Not right. in those developing areas. Right. So we want to protect breastfeeding, especially in those areas, you know, of the world where you know there's nothing else. Um, and it's also been shown that um, babies will have less um, common childhood illnesses, ear infections. Um, respiratory infections, you know, gastrointestinal infections, uh, and and colds, All which right. you know can go on to 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 give a an ear infection. Um, so yeah, it just has many many benefits, you know. And to the mother, the benefits we can start with. We you've already told us about the wonder drug, the hormone oxytocin that's released. Uh, so. Let's talk about what kinds of incidences of disease that it, this lowers as well. Yeah, the uh, the breastfeeding benefits for the mom um, 
include uh, less obesity, less diabetes, less osteoporosis, and a decrease in um, breast cancer and... Uh, ovarian cancer? Ovarian so cancer, right. Thank you. So, you know, it's not insignificant. Um, does, and does it matter? I think listeners are wondering, does the, the incidence of some diseases occur with later breastfeeding, later and older age women? Does it matter? Um, or that I'm science is still sure. out? Okay. I'm not sure about that, actually. Okay. Well, um, tell us about the uh, trends, how yeah. US com- the U.S. compares with other comparably developed countries. We're going to c- consider ourselves a developed country, but it doesn't quite look like it when you're talking about breastfeeding uh, sort of yeah. markers. Our statistics, um, I got these, I was looking at the CDC um, website to look at breastfeeding statistics. And for 2014, um, you know, it, it looks... It looks pretty good for 79% um, of babies were ever breastfed. Um, but then, you know, further down the road, uh, six months, it drops to 49%. And I think part of the problem is this moms are not getting enough support. If moms are returning back to work at six weeks or three months or four months, it, many places don't have the facilities to allow a mom to express milk and and refrigerate it. So this is a, a big um, problem with supporting, you know, lack of support for breastfeeding moms. And some countries do an, a fabulous job in this regard, such as Denmark, Sweden, and Germany, who they give their moms uh, a, a year off at least. And so we see much higher um, breastfeeding rates in those countries. I think Denmark was 98% at one year, which was pretty amazing. So that leave, that maternal leave, is kind of the uh, the red tent in our in our day of giving the mothers a chance. Uh, it right. gives them time off to, if they need to uh, work with somebody, uh, uh, knowing uh, the doula, the lactation consultant. There, uh, we'll, we'll list all the organizations, folks, for you, and keep them on the podcast summary too. But it sort of, uh, I guess, there's a probably a correlation between maternity leave and length. Right, Le- length of breastfeeding and right. sort of um, lessening of anxiety and depression postpartum to right. uh, adjusting and providing. As for uh, and we'll talk about uh, how much providing is is healthy for babies. Yeah, um, one uh, one statistic that just kind of sticking in my mind: some moms are not allowed, don't have, they can't afford to uh, stop or even have the six weeks off. Right, and so while they're still bleeding postpartum, they're returning to work, and 30% of, of moms in in California, in, in the U.S., I'm sorry, um, don't have this support at all. So how how are they, you know, going to establish this relationship? It's, it's you know, it's kind of dismal. It's very sad that we can't provide that for, for new moms. So not only are they kind of like the walking wounded, working wounded, but they're, right. they're denied that kind of continuum of of the pregnancy to early motherhood that where all those benefits yeah, sort of bonding. sink into that relationship. Yeah, yes. The bonding that needs to occur. So um, I don't know if there's a, is anything through the lactation uh, consulting and the La Leche League that are uh, 
there's an organized effort to keep putting that maternity leave in front there in the legislative arena? There must be some yes. kind of activities there. Yeah, yeah. I'll I frequently get emails from organizations to you know to go and and sign petitions to try and and get that to the forefront of of politicians, in the in the state, in the state arena, um, in front of the governor, um, and that yeah. Well, I there's some very specific things. Um, I know implants are kind of ubiquitous in the Southern California area. I know that because it's a it's a checkoff in, uh, in when when you get certain procedures done, you're asked like after certain basic histories, you're also asked, do you have implants? But tell us about how implants have an impact on breastfeeding. In my experience, um, most of the moms that have breast implants um, are able to breastfeed. You know fine. It, it obviously depends on why they've had those breast implants. Some, some ladies might not have a whole lot of breastfeeding breast tissue, uh, which, you know, cuts down on the, on the, the storage capacity on the, yeah, on the, on the breast making, you know, the milk making, you know, uh, yeah. tissue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, seeing if a mom has uh, implants, it's hard to really know how much breast tissue was there before. Um, to, to know how much, you know, if milk production is going to be good or not. But in my experience, it's, it's typically um, a cosmetic kind of a procedure, and um, breastfeeding usually works pretty well. And when we talk about that, then it makes, we haven't had a chance to cover yet the, some of the complications. Let's, could you go over the complications that new mothers have that how you work with them, how they get help with any, any kind of um, a support uh, entity so that women know, like I, you taught me about mastitis, that is not a, a, a factor that should stop a woman from b- breastfeeding. That, right. so, so can you break down all of those kinds of conditions that, okay. that can be worked around? Right. Um, you know, some, for some moms, you know, breastfeeding just... You know, it's just a smooth, seamless transition and works really well. And in other cases, you know, there can be um, latch. Many of the people I see, the baby's having trouble latching on for various reasons. Um, might be a tongue tie, might be baby has trouble opening mouth and, properly. And tongue tie, just tell us what, not everybody knows what that is. Uh, tongue tie is... You know, usually somebody in your in your family will have it. If, if mom it's or dad, genetic. right? Mom or dad don't rem- don't remember if they haven't had it. They don't remember anybody having it. It usually comes from you know one side of the family or the other. And the tongue, you know, doesn't have the complete mobility that that it should have. So it's really hard to get it out and around that nipple to really latch deeply and get the milk from the breast. So that hampers. That's one of the biggest biggest problems I see. And some pediatricians just miss it. They don't see it. And yeah. you see it. Yes. Yes. Some some offices are really good at, at picking up on that and uh, referring to the, you know, appropriate pl- place, places. But there seems to be a, a lack of education in that regard. <clears throat> so, and you were talking about some other things besides being tongue-tied yes. in the oral motor. Um other things, uh, engorgement can happen when, you know, your milk comes in and you just um, 
we're not getting the milk moving out fast enough. So you basically have, you know, a traffic jam, I, I like to call it, in the breast. So we've got to move that milk out. And, and how uh, do you help somebody with that? Um, I get the baby to latch on. really helps. Okay. And um, I also encourage moms to learn how to hand express so they can, if they're ever entering a situation where they need to do that, they know how to do that. And, uh, and hand expressing helps sort of jostle helps, about helps that. Helps move, helps move the milk, move up milk out, express the, express the milk. Um, another way, uh, pumps are, seem to be, be like the ladies' fashion these days. Everybody, everybody seems to have to have one. And, um, you know, we don't all need the Rolls Royce of pumps, you know. Um, there are some very good pumps that are, that are out there, um, I would suggest if you feel like you do need a pump to just buy one or rent one from a company that only makes pumps, not is not in the business of making uh, milk bottles and that kind of thing. And um, so that that those specializing in the breast pump have that have that mechanism down, and it's it's not it's the right. maybe putting the right the right pressure, the right kind of uh, instrument that is right. beneficial to to keep keeping yeah. that breast operating. Yeah. Issue I sometimes wonder is do we you know there's do we all need a breast pump, you know, it's like the latest thing. It's like we're, we're going to have You mean the electronic ones versus yeah, the, the yeah, I manual. Think, yeah, I think it would be, you know, I I try to encourage moms to, you know, learn how to hand express and some hospitals Stanford University for example has an excellent little video um, put together by Dr. Jane Morton on how to hand express really well. Um, so that's something that any mom can learn. But I guess some women, though, because you're talking about them and being in a bind with their workplace uh, demands, that maybe that the electric breast pump is their expeditious way of right. meeting two bosses. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The the double pumps, it's, it's very convenient. So you can... Um, express milk from both both breasts at the same time well with the time we have remaining i've got a few more questions one's a real delicate one and you've told me a bit about the women who have a history of sexual abuse that the whole breast zone is a very very problematic that's a dicey delicate area what is your understanding about breastfeeding and approaching that breast that was a, a, viola a violation zone in the, the person's history. Right. Uh, and that's one thing that was very interesting and important to me learning learning back, you know, seven, eight years ago at becoming a lactation consultant. When, when people, you know, people don't come out, moms don't come out and say, oh, I'm not going to breastfeed. Um, you know, I was sexually abused. It, it's typically, you know, oh, I didn't have enough milk or, you know, various things. It's, you know, I, I have yet to have somebody, somebody come and say to me, um, you know, I was, I was sexually abused, so I just don't really want my baby on my, on my breasts. But that is a reality. Um, one, I, uh, one in four girls um, in childhood is, are sexually abused, and this is a big problem then translating you know, to having babies and, you know, nurturing that baby at the breast. Um, so it's not in the top of your screening, but it does it, do you screen in some, at some point when you've established a little bit more of a, a connection with your clients? Well, 
you know, typically when and when the mom goes into hospital to have the baby, they're screened. Okay. They're, um, so you know you can see that in their record, their chart. Well, they'll they'll ask things like, um, "Do you feel safe in your home?" and and a few questions like that, because they want that one. You know, if 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 there's a chance to pick up on the mom's not feeling safe and vulnerable and uh, frightened. That can be identified there, but then the, and there. but the sexual abuse would be in the past, not not yeah, in the and I, ongoing. I don't recall if layer. that's if that's um, addressed. But it's important information for you, right? Right. If one and in it's, four. yeah, it is a delicate thing, and I, you know, it's uh, you know some some people are doing research on that, and obviously they have managed to address that in a very successful, delicate way that moms can open up. And talk about that, and and move on, and be helped. Okay, I'm I'm so glad to learn all these things. Uh, so, how do listeners get in touch with lactation consultants? How do they find good ones? The ILCA is the International Lactation Consultant Association, and you can go online and find a lactation consultant in your area of of uh, of the world. Um, um, lactation consultant is an international certification, so you can find somewhere anywhere in any country in the world. Um, La Leche League um, USA and La Leche League International they provide grassroots and local support, which is is wonderful. Postpartum International is an organization, also international and world, worldwide, and will support families and moms who are dealing with anxiety and depression. And that's, uh, in my experience, has been a great help and support. And I know we're now down, drawing down completely on our time, but the postpartum depression and anxiety, that is a whole different topic that I'm looking forward to you and I covering at a later date. Thank you. Okay. Well, Vivian Earthman, she is a pediatric nurse, a lactation consultant, conveying these wonderful things that we somehow got programmed out of our daily, annual, lifetime conversations about breastfeeding. I want to thank you, Vivian, so much for coming all the way down in studio today to be with all of us. Thanks a lot thank for you, being Claudia. on the show. Well, I'll be right back. We're going to bring on uh, Anne and Bill Allenbach, and they're going to talk about tutoring inmates. Incredible. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Thank you for staying tuned. That was Alan Hovhannis's Sonata for Harp and Guitar. Well, we are so fortunate to have with us a power couple of a, of a different kind with, uh, joining us today. That's Bill and Ann Allenbach. They're doing excellent work in working with literacy in Orange County's five jails. A little bit about this couple. Ann Allenbach was raised in San Rafael and graduated at University of California, Santa Barbara, and uh, she moved to Hawaii to teach in parochial school and become an independent woman. So, I'm, I, so I, we, uh, I have some notes about when they met, but we'll get to, we'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, she has a master's in education and a certificate in English as a second language. She retired 
after 21 years, and we'll talk about their retirement as a, as a joint couple here in a bit. Bill was born in Detroit and raised in Philadelphia, completed his undergraduate work at Kenyon College, then joined the Marine Corps with a tour of duty in Korea. He attended the Church Divinity School of Pacific, and as an Episcopal priest, he was involved in what he terms exciting ministries in Hawaii. So you can see where the partnership there in Hawaii together. He later acquired his master's in social work, started his own company, uh, California Corporation, operating a drug treatment center. Bill worked with street gangs and California Deaf Blind Services. After hanging up the professional life, both Bill and Ann have scratched their travel itch to the tune of 67 countries. Bill Allenbach recently finished his fourth book, so they've been going full bore here. Among Bill and Ann Allenbach's current abundant volunteer contributions, we focus today on the work they do in Orange County's Reed OC, Teaching Inmates Literacy. They join me in studio today. Welcome to the show, Bill and Ann Allenbach. Thank Thank you. you. Nice to be here. Well, one of the many programs in Orange County Public Library's Read OC is the Working for Inmate Literacy Now. It's also known as WIN. And so uh, tell us a little bit about the program, which provides basic literacy services to what we call interested inmates in Orange County Jail System. That's like what it's about and the training that's involved. Well, I think... Uh, we were interested in, in working in the jails. We went to Reed Orange County because of our backgrounds, that it's a, it's a good place to use our skills. So we had, uh, I think it was about 40 hours of training. It was on Saturdays. It was put on by Reed Orange County. It was very thorough. And at that time, there was some transition going on in the sheriff's office, and it wasn't necessarily easy to get in to the prison system because uh, they had had some problems. So uh, finally it opened up, and uh, Annie had another student. She was working with a wonderful woman from Afghanistan on, in English. and uh, But uh, unfortunately, that woman, she had us over for dinner one night, and she died two days later. We don't know if there's any correlation. But anyway, Annie nope. said, I think I'd like to go teach in the jails with you, and that's how we got started. Okay, so a fellow tutor writing in. So what the, the program does, it's uh, demonstrating to the inmate the practical benefits of improving their, their literacy skills. And you're talking about reading and writing, critical thinking skills. So you're really giving them a lot. So, uh, And you talked a little bit about your, your background and how you had been working with the, some, some tough customers, some, some tough street folks here. So, um, and you've been involved with this now for five years, the two of you. Five plus, yes. So I, we'll, we'll get to what you're getting out of this in a little bit, but let's talk about, um, there's the qualitative and the quantitative. I want to talk about the first, the intangibles. When you work on developing initiative and motivation, learning and social responsibility, talk about what is going on in these sessions with you, these intangible goods that the inmates are getting from your literacy training. And Well, I think we feel that the very fact that we're there and we positively care about them as people, uh, and, and we have no judgment about really what went on before they got there. In fact, we're not even allowed to know what they're in jail for. Is that so right? Wow. We don't really, they will bring up things we might discuss, but basically we are just there to improve 
their life while they're there. And the very fact they've signed up and are willing to do tutoring tells us that they want to make some progress in their life. And so we jump on that bandwagon with them. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the basic background is we're there to support and help and care about you. And so we pretty much teach on their lead, the skills that they are asking to work on. That is what we do for them. So, Anne, you were saying you're not told what they're what they were charged with, but is that something they could volunteer in the yes. course? That, so, so, yes. so you will find out. So it's not. We do. And, and, and does the, it matter, or does it not matter? Really, it doesn't really matter. It produces frustration in me because most of them that we have worked with have been are on probation and have been picked up for the silliest small reasons that it frustrates us completely that they have to be back in jail for these silly things they have done on probation that they're not even aware of some of them. Okay, um, that then the uh, I was wondering how you know about probation that's you know about that because they're incarcerated as yes. a result of violating it in some yes. some sort of very 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 particular way well um so the circumstandard some circumstances easy for me not to say the circumstances under which they're taking their lessons from you and working on them that is a real testament to how they are so in very mobilized to to work on this. Can can give us an idea of what they they take their training, their lessons from you, and they go back and sort of you're talking about their regimen that makes it difficult. I, I think the first thing we do is say, what do you want to accomplish? That's so important. Rather than here's what you're going to learn. Okay. And and so that that gets it off to a positive stage. Fifty uh, five year old man who says, I'm ashamed to be here. But I can't read, and I want to learn to read because I, I'm an excellent uh, handyman, but I can't read a manual, and I always have to ask somebody how to do it. So wow. we worked on that, and I went back to read Orange County, and I said, give me the skills, the best skills there are to teach a 55-year-old man to read. Rachel and I worked for about four weeks, and she gave me some great training uh, on how to teach a person to read, and it was wonderful. It really, it really helped this man. So, that's one way. Now, you're you're hearing right away. I mean, you're probably the first person that's that they've been able to tell that they have this shortcoming in their their own literacy ability. Yes. So that that must be, in a way, there's an, another tangible benefit for the, the detainee is that they can sort of overcome a block that's maybe been a contributor to their having committed a crime. So, And it was very interesting because this particular gentleman really got to work on his reading skills. And even though he was offered all kinds of drugs in the jail, he said, no, I'm not doing any drugs. <laughs> and for some reason or other, that was a, a motive for him to not even use drugs anymore. Wow. Wow. It's powerful. Well, that is, that's some of the qualitative, and you may have some other qualitative kinds of uh, stories to tell us, but I think there's the quantitative benefits that your intervention, as uh, your instruction is of sorts, it has big benefits that 
financially that the local government and the state benefit from? Is there any kind of uh, record keeping that gives you that you can share with us is that we're benefiting from your once a week tutoring and the whole Read OC programs win tutoring program? Do you have any uh, ideas, I, Annie? I, I'm not sure, except when the GED program was stronger in the jails, right now it's kind of on hold uh-huh. as far as we know. Uh, that's not a fact because we've sort of been out of the loop for six weeks. But when the GED program was stronger, um for us to tutor students to help them achieve their GED had to be beneficial for society as well as for them as individuals, that they now had that degree to be employed. Right. So it made a huge difference. I had one young woman. uh, She was a very beautiful Hispanic woman, and I could tell she was very smart right away. Had gotten into uh, some pretty heavy drugs, and... She, I knew she could pass her GED, so I, uh, I worked hard with her. That was on your that. template. You just started yeah, on right. that. And then she said, I'm terrified to go back out there. The old boyfriend's there, and he's just waiting for me so we can go through this again. She had been in uh, prison before. And uh, so I said, well, the only way you can really get out of here is to get involved in a sober living program. And so uh, she said, well, what do I do? And I, I gave her some ideas. And she said, I want to do this one. So she she got accepted into the program. And rather than going back to her old neighborhood, these people from that uh, program came and picked her up at the jail, took her right into sober living. And I, I immediately, uh, I then heard uh, through the grapevine, there's a big grapevine in the jail system, that she was doing extremely well. She had finished her, her, her s- sobriety uh, training and was now going to a college, uh, a junior college, a community college here, and she had big plans for her future. She was working because she's in the sober living place. So it, 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 how much money is she saving society? At somewhere around $100 a day to keep her in there versus uh, she's uh, she's now going to be a productive member of society. Tax-paying uh, yes, contributing, yes. not not offending, that kind of thing. Well, if you've just joined us, you're tuned to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. My guests are Bill and Ann Allenbach, who are tutor touring inmates in the Reed OC program known as WIN, working for inmate literacy, now in Orange County's five different jails. And we're talking about, in their capacity, you're, we're hearing that not only is about literacy, but they are resources. They are sort of the switchboard to connect somebody with a landing better, landing gently outside of their incarcerated uh, existence and, and getting on a better path. And so I guess it, it takes some sort of self-awareness for those uh, detainees to know what their needs are to get that kind of um, res- those other resources from you and the and when doesn't the read OC uh, program uh, is not concerned about you contributing additional resources I mean, that's that charter isn't no put up no. there okay. literacy is what the program is based literacy on. with institutions not just mm-hmm. with the words so okay well uh, I 
do you have any kind of like you could walk us through a story about how you, you gave us one example yeah. of the this uh, Latin American woman? Maybe, Anne, do you have yes, a... Yes, she has a great exa- story about yes. that one man who was picked up uh, by the police and lost his truck and there's all his... Oh, well, that... that he was just such a bright, determined man. And again, I really don't know what he was in jail for, but then he came back on probation. And he was just such a hard worker and a caring person. And again, I don't know really what happened after jail because legally we are not allowed to keep contact with these people. Now tell us about that because I, I never heard well, was it, aware of that until you told me. Well, it's just a requirement when you go through training to go, the jail training, not the training in literacy at Reed, but training to be volunteers in the jail, you are very clearly told that you are to have no contact with these people after they get out of the Mm -hmm. institution. And so we're never allowed to do any follow-up, so we don't really know. But this poor man uh, had done his time in jail. He was on probation. He had difficulties with his sister with whom he lived. He She'd given him a room after he got out of jail. What were those difficulties? I well, all all I know was they clashed, and she told him he had to leave her home. So he put all of his belongings into his truck, and was sitting on the porch, having a beer before he took off to go to who knows where, and he got picked up on probation and put back in jail. So he violated for drinking alcohol? He violated alcohol? for drinking alcohol, and he lost all of his possessions. Was was his offense related to some sort of aggravation from alcohol? That's why... I have you, no idea so, what his offense was, but the fact that this man was trying so hard to go on with his life... Keep this, it together. This hiccup came up, and he was kind of gathering it together to get in that car and go to who knows where because he didn't have a place to go live and he lost everything he owned and he was very willing to share that with me and he, he was such a wonderful man he made gifts for me out of little paper he folded and made things and I I just always wanted to know if he ever got an opportunity to move on because he was so determined to do that and he did so well in all of his skills in our tutoring so well as we discussed in preparation for the interview that there's is a a little bit of a logic in your keeping a sort of a, a distance i yes. guess that there that we've seen some real blatant examples of collusion between uh, prison employees jail employees and uh, inmates where it allowed the inmates to make a pretty uh, amazing escape from those uh, detention centers so uh, it, i guess that's that's part of the reasoning but i'm sure uh, as professionals in this literacy i'm going to say not not raising at the level from from volunteer professionals is that you you always want to know the follow up you want to know the well, because what worked and 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 the and the additional dividend of knowing what good happened because you've developed a real care for them uh, and so y- you want to know that it's been successful and they moved on. The biggest dividend is we know that they appreciate what we do 
You can uh, tell right yeah, away. Yeah, and uh, and that we're a moment of of relaxation in their life, which is pretty regimented. So uh, that's the thing we do know. The the positive is that they really appreciate what we're doing and working with them. And we hear a lot of stories. Once they open up and there's a trust level there and we're not jail informants or something like this, uh, people open up and almost always we hear the story. Sometimes it's through write an essay about something and, uh -huh. and the story comes out. And it's very cathartic for them. One, one fun experience I had, um, I was tutoring a, a person in the jail and in the same room where we were tutoring, a young woman came in with another tutor. And she raised her hand and wave, wave, waved at me. Oh. And she said, do you remember me? And I had to really think, did I remember her? She said, because of you, I passed my GED. Oh, wow. And that just made my heart swell yes. that this woman had worked so hard and she had passed her GED and remembered how much I had assisted her. A lynchpin. That was for heartwarming. Her. Wonderful. Unfortunately, she was back in. Yes, oh, so no. it was a pr a pr another silly probation thing. We have learned that even eating salad dressing with vinegar in it will make alcohol show up in your it's blood. It's a false positive. And they'll, get, okay. and they'll get picked up. Okay, well, th that was incredible when you mentioned Poppy that to me. seeds on a piece of bread get you back uh, in. Yeah, my heroin positive. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for coming in studio to join me today. Uh, thank you, Bill and Ann Allenbach, for being on the show. Thank you for having us. That was yes. Bill and Ann Allenbach, who are tutor inmates in Reed O.C., and they uh, joined us here today on Ask a Leader. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. So uh, we're gonna, that was my wrap today. Next week, two veteran guests return to the airwaves with me, Carolyn Inman. We'll get into the weeds before the Irvine School Board gets into your pockets with the June primary election ballot measure. Then, culture impresario Henry Korn will treat us to satire in his new, brand new book, American Crazy. Why now? Because it will be showcased at BC Space in Laguna on March 20th. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.